We're turning to Colossians chapter 2. We're breaking into a new chapter in this short little lesson, short little uh, book that Paul wrote to a church he'd never met before. And he makes a point of that here in this these verses where he is praying for them. He is earnestly uh, laboring for them in prayer and um, even as he has opportunity in Rome, being imprisoned in Rome, he still has a great love and affection for this church and not just for them, but for others in that region. Let me read for us, uh, beginning at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1 through verse 5, and then we'll look, uh, well, time permitting, we'll see what, what, what we can look at in these verses. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your, benef- on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one may delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ." If you remember Colossae, the church in Colossae was founded most likely by a man named Epaphras. We met him earlier in chapter 1. Uh, we'll see him in chapter 4 when Paul says, this man, I mean, he prays constantly for you. He wants you to stand uh, fully assured in all the will of God. And, and uh, Epaphras evidently came to Paul while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Now, that's quite a distance to journey, uh, some thousand miles or so over land or through uh, boat travel. But he, Epaphras, rather, wanted to come to Paul because of certain strange doctrines that were infiltrating the church in Colossae and wanted Paul's assistance. There may be even some aspect in which Epaphras was a prisoner as well. Later we'll see in chapter 4 that I believe Paul refers to him as his fellow prisoner. Whether that's literally speaking, he's actually in the in the, um, in the the jail, house arrest, as we read in Acts 28 with Paul, or if he's just saying he's a fellow prisoner uh, with me of Christ. We are bound to Christ. We are his slaves, and we want to serve him. Either way, Epaphras had a very great burden for the church, and Paul shared it, even though Paul had never been there. Now, you remember, though, that Paul, what probably his longest ministry anywhere, other than in a prison, uh, well, even longer than that, because he'd only been in prison two years in Rome and two years in Caesarea before that, but he was three years in Ephesus three years in the Ephesian church, and Ephesus is only 100 miles away from Colossae. Ephesus is closer to the coast of Asia Minor, whereas Colossae is more inland, and yet it's likely that through Paul's ministry there in Ephesus, it's it's spoken of of in Acts um, 19, I think, where all those in that whole region, all of Asia, has heard the gospel, which would include, of course, Colossae. And so perhaps Epaphras was there, the one who brought this message and uh, helped that church to be founded there in Colossae. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And he doesn't mention his imprisonment, even though he says, I'm in, in prison because of bringing the gospel to Gentiles. It's always been my the issue that I have been uh, addressed with or confronted with from the beginning of my ministry. It's always, oh, you're taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember when he gave his testimony there in, in Jerusalem temple, uh, temple, when he said, um, go for, I'll take, I'll make you a, a messenger, a proclaimer of the gospel to even to the Gentiles. And they picked up stones. They were going to kill him for that message. No, we are God's chosen people and all this. Well, Paul did bear his imprisonment on behalf of the Gentiles 
which compromised the great majority of those in the Colossian church. But as much as Paul could lament or, or bemoan about his circumstances, and if you want to read more about it, read Philippians when he describes his imprisonment for the cause of the gospel. He says, I don't mind it as long as the gospel's going forward. You know, even if I die, that's fine because I'll go to be with Christ, even though I know it's more important for your sake and Philippi and other churches for me to remain on the flesh. And so read Philippians if you want to read more about his his heart, what he's thinking about at, toward the end of his imprisonment. But here he's so consumed with the spiritual progress of the church in Colossae. He's so concerned. He he even says, I struggle, I agonize over that. And if you want to back up one verse, verse 29 of chapter 1, introduces that agony, that striving. He says, for this purpose also I labor, striving or agonizing according to this purpose, which uh, this power rather, which mightily works within me. Paul says, I have this agony. Now, it's not just being uh, chained to Roman uh, soldiers on either side of it, not just being uh, under house arrest for these two years and the shipwreck trying to get from Caesarea to Rome and all, as many difficulties as he had, I have upon me, as he says in Second Corinthians 11, I think it is, where he says, I have the daily concern for all the churches. I am concerned for their spiritual advancement, for their spiritual progress. And even specifically, he mentions their love for one another. So concerned for that. He says, I want you to know how great. It's not just a little struggle. This is not just a minor, you know, every once in a while he thinks about this thing, kind of like, uh, oh, tax day is coming. I guess we better pay our taxes because, you know, for, well, I won't digress on that. But the point is, Paul said, this is a daily concern. This over, overshadows all the, the difficulties that I face personally, all the, the, uh, um, restrictions I have upon my, my liberty, all the, the, um, the, the ministry plans that I had, he wanted to go to Spain, remember. You know, I want to pass through Rome on to Spain. And he, did he ever make it there? We don't know. We don't have that recorded in Scripture. And yet, uh, Paul had great ambitions for the gospel. But he says, beyond all that, I, I'd love for the gospel to go forward, but I'm so concerned for those who are in Christ that they would have spiritual progress and maturity. I have a great struggle for you. And for whatever reason, Paul wanted them to understand that that they weren't by themselves, okay? Maybe they feel like they're their own people. Maybe they feel uh, somehow, because they never had a, you know, capital A apostle with them. Maybe they felt kind of uh, like second-class uh, Christians or, or maybe they were orphaned themselves. And Paul says, no, I want you guys to know, you guys in Colossae, I am with you. I am for you. I want you to succeed. I want you to prosper spiritually. I want you to have a great testimony in the Lord. I want to see the gospel transforming your lives. For you guys in Colossae, notice he says three different people, three different groups of people. He says, I have this burden for you guys there in Colossae and for those who are in Laodicea. Laodicea is another major city. Colossae was, used to be, the major city upon the Lycus River and it was kind of being overshadowed by Laodicea for a variety of reasons. There's another another city called Hierapolis, a little bit to the north, all within about a, a 10 or 12 a mile uh, radius of each other, very close to another. And Paul says, look, I, I'm, I'm concerned for you guys in Colossae, Laodicea, and all those who have not personally seen my face, which is kind of nicely translated here, but it, it says literally, um, for all those, who have, all those who have not seen me in the flesh. He says, I know I've not been to, to be with you. I know that I've not been in your, your meetings. I know that I haven't even maybe set foot in your, in your city, which 
he may have been to the city because of his travels from from uh, farther east in Asia Minor. He may have traveled through that region, even though Ephesus is a bit farther north. But the point is he wasn't actively involved in the church. That was something that Epiphras had started uh, in his stead. But he says, you know, whether I know you or not, I, I love you, I agonize for you, I want you to prosper in the Lord, I want you to mature, right? That's what he said back in, in uh, verse 28 of chapter 1. Every man complete in Christ, that's what he labors for. And even as we hear news this morning of international uh, Christians, our brothers and sisters around the world, don't we have an affection for them, which is weird. I mean, we've, we don't know these people, we've never met them, we don't, haven't been to their, to their homes or to their ministries, and yet we love them in the Lord, we want them to prosper, we want God to be active in their through their hands, through the, the words of their mouth, through everything, all their relationships, all the plans that they have. It doesn't matter if we've seen them or not. We want to emulate our the Apostle Paul here and have a great struggle, that we would struggle certainly in prayer. Uh, we can do more than pray, as somebody has said, but we can't do more until we pray. We ought to pray. That ought to be our first uh, uh, instinct or desire to pray and ask God to work through them, which Paul has done. We looked at his prayer back in chapter 1 for the Colossian church. But what else can we do? What else can we do? Can we go? Can we help them? Can we send money? Can we send aid? Whichever it was, Paul here is is a ministering the uh, the word and, and ministering prayer on behalf of this church, but he is so burdened for them and for Laodicea. You know, in Revelation 2 and 3, there was a letter that was uh, a message from Jesus Christ himself, the Lord of the churches, to the church at Ephesus. There was a message to the church at Laodicea. There was a message to the church at Hierapolis, Philadelphia, Smyrna, all these different places, and yet not to the Colossian church. Why was that? What happened to the Colossian church? And a course of 30 years, maybe, what happened? Where is this church? Why are they not forefront of the mind? What happened to them? We don't know. Did they dissolve? Did they disband? Did, they, did the, the church uh, move from Colossae and move over to Laodicea? We have no idea. But the point is, churches can rise and they can fall. And part of it comes back to those two issues I mentioned earlier, the truth, our devotion to the truth, but even more than that, are the truth that drives us toward love, which is what Paul says next here. This is what he is praying for this church, that, that the burden that he has for them, that their hearts may be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the full assurance or the com- uh, to, the, to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. So truth and, and the reality of that, but also being knit together, being uh, united in love. But notice he focuses on hearts. We could focus on stomachs all the time, you know, feeding and, and meeting needs, but we need to go a little bit deeper than that. We think, how, how deep can you go? Well, a lot more deep than, than just your, your physical needs. We need to care for them. We need to show kindness and, and, uh, you know, provide food and clothing and shelter, but we need to go deeper than that. And Paul says, I am praying. I am active. I'm agonizing, striving over the establishment of hearts, the encouragement of the inner man. Now, I've mentioned this before, and I hope you uh, can get it clear in your mind. When we talk about anthropology or the doctrine of humanity, who are we? Now, we can talk about really two aspects of one man. We are one person, which is both material and immaterial, which is why death is so unnatural, why it is not part of God's original good creation. Death, the separation of body and spirit, or body and soul from uh, from each other is is not right. We God made us to be a soul spirit body. 
we are combined together. And Paul says, I am praying for their hearts, their inner man, also described Actually, the predominant word used in the whole Bible for the inner man, for the, the, uh, the immaterial aspect of our humanity is heart. But also we can talk about mind or will or emotions or, um, uh, strength even. It's talked about. Remember in, in when Jesus reiterates the, uh, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Wow, all those, it's not like, okay, which, which part is my heart and which part is my, no, it's everything that you are. Love God, love him. And so Paul says, you know, I love for us to be able to meet, meet these physical needs, but I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you in the inner man to, to prosper, even though, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, our, 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 excuse me, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Wow, that's what we are. I mean, these bodies are falling apart. Have you noticed? Have you looked in a mirror lately? I mean, no offense, but man, wow. We are just, we're a mess. And yet God is renewing our hearts. He is making us alive. And he wants, Paul says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. This is where the Holy Spirit resides in us, not in our finger, not in our, our big toe ending, but in our hearts, in the inner man. And he gives us understanding. He give, gives us the empowerment then to love one another. Notice it says he wants the individual Christian's hearts to be encouraged. I want you to to know who you are in Christ, which is why he spends so much time on that in this in this letter. And if you want more of it, you can read Ephesians 1 through 3. Who are we in Christ? But then we'll see it in chapter 3 of Colossians and chapter 4 through 6 in Ephesians that being in Christ means that we need to live that way, that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that it changes our attitudes, our our priorities, our affections, our relationships, the words that we speak, the plans that we make, it is directed by our relationship with Christ. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged, to be nurtured, to be nourished, to be strengthened. Um, but he says, look, it's not just an individual thing. A Christian's relationship with God is not just something you can do by yourself and, and somehow uh, to the neglect of a corporate work. This next idea, having been knit together, who is this having been knit together? We're, we're going into a, a knitting business or a knitting ministry now. No, it's not that. It's it's our hearts having been knit together. With whom? With, what are we talking about? With each other. Having a, a heart, having our hearts knit together, having, as Philippians 2 says, having the same, being intent on the same purpose, desiring the same thing, exercising humility, not thinking of ourselves as more important than other people. But having this humility, having this mind in ourselves that uh, humbles ourselves, even as Christ humbled himself. One of the things about unity in the church, this, this heart being knit together, hearts being knit together in love, means that we think of other people as more important than ourselves. We give people the benefit of the doubt. It means that we put up with each other. Yes, we put up with each other. We, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 3 says we put, put up with each other in love. We, we persevere in getting along. Because guess what? I can be hard to get along with. And by the way, my news to you, you can be hard to get along with. You, do you know how difficult it is to love you? Our goal, our, our responsibility is to be as reasonable, as sweet, as gentle, as winsome as possible so we can live at peace with all people. We don't want to give other people an opportunity, an excuse to hate us or to slight us or to ignore us. We want to be so much like Christ in our lives being knit together in love. We want that to be our animating or motivating or unifying experience. And not just an ushy-gushy, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to go around each other and say, hey, I love you, love you, I like you really much. No, 
Love means we lay down our lives for each other. It means we serve and we meet needs. We, we can look and we see, uh, maybe this person needs a, uh, an encouragement, encouraging word. Maybe this person needs to be confronted. We talked about admonition, right? In the, in verse 28, chapter one. Maybe this person needs, uh, some money. I mean, they're going through some hard times. Maybe we need to meet their needs. Maybe we need to organize something. But, Looking for the needs that we can meet, that is how we are knit together in love, meeting practically the uh, needs that we have. We are a bunch of needy folk. We need all, all kinds of things, yet God is the sufficiency. God is the one who supplies. We're just, what's the song say? We are channels of his blessing. We don't want to stop up. We don't want to be dams of his blessing and say, oh, you know, I see that God is wanting to provide for that person, but that's a pretty good blessing. I think I'll keep that one to myself. That's not the way we ought to be. Only, even we saw with those aquaponic ponds, you know, only as that water flows does there, is there a freshness and life going on there. When it becomes stagnant, guess what? It begins to stink and die. We need to be channels of God's blessing. Being Our hearts have been knit together in love. Let's act like it. But he says... We cannot just resort to an emotive kind of a sentimental um, uh, a love where, you know, you have your favorite pair of sneakers or something. You know, I love those sneakers. Well, what have they done for you? You, you need to love and serve and, and, and show an affection that is outside of yourself, not, not self-focused. We love so that we can be loved back. No, don't forget about that. We love because Christ has loved us. God loved us and sent his son. What can I do to show love toward other people? This results, this activity of love and kindness and affection results in more of that unity, being having hearts knit together in love. Have you noticed anything about knitting? When you, when you put something together, it is stronger now. I mean, it's just a, just a thread. But when you weave it and, and, and knit it together, it is a strong thing that can cover nakedness. It can bring warmth and comfort. It can, it can bring, you know, that, those snuggly feelings when you're cold and it's rainy and snowy outside and you get your knitted blanket and you just feel, oh, it's like God is, is loving you, hugging you or something. That's what we want to be toward one another. Comfort. Bringing comfort. Now, sometimes, how does the saying go? Sometimes we need to bring discomfort to the comfortable. We need to bring some, some, uh, you know, fire in their bones, as it were, and, and uh, uh, challenge them toward love and good deeds. But wow, this love is life changing. Jesus said it this way. Remember John 13. What a, what a powerful passage. Uh, it, those to- opening two verses set the stage of what is going on there in the upper room. And at the right time and all these things going on, Jesus rises, takes up the base and the towel, washes his disciples' feet. And then he says, what I've done to you, you'd expect him to say, you do to me one one day. You know, why haven't you washed my feet lately? No, he doesn't say anything like that. He says, what I've done to you, you do to one another. You bunch of ragamuffin, ne'er-do-wells, you bunch of confused people, you little faith people, you need to get your act together. And I know you will when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just wait for that. But you need to love one another. And then he says later, at the end of, well, um, John 13, 34, 35, he says, by this, everybody is going to know that you're my disciples. You belong, you're Christians because of your love for one another. That's what it animates us. Talking about that Ephesian church, you know, the letter the, that uh, Jesus wrote or sent to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, he Ex, uh, accentuates or highlights or celebrates their devotion to the truth. I know that you're so doctrinally right and sound and all this kind of thing, but I have this one thing against you. You didn't go to that seminar or you didn't go to that conference or you didn't listen to that preacher. Or you didn't read that book. That wasn't the fault that he found with them. You have left your first love. 
And we think, well, which love is that? Which, what, you know, uh, kind of like in, in Matthew 25, when did we see you naked or in prison or all these things? When did we see? No, you have, you, you have become self, so self-focused, so, as, go with it back to that analogy, so damned up, not like condemned, but, but uh, stuck up with your intelligence, with your knowledge, with your desire for the truth. Truth is supposed to express itself in love. But you've left that. You've lost it. You're so valiant for the truth, but you need to be aggressive in love, love for your fellow Christians, love for your enemies. Here, Paul is ministering in Rome. He's in prison in a house arrest with two Roman centurions, kind of probably on an alternating or rotating basis, but he is evangelizing them. He is sharing the gospel with them, and they probably think, when is this tour of duty over? When can we go on to the next crazy guy? Here's this guy speaking strange things. But you know, through the course of Paul's ministry in Rome, house arrest, the whole Praetorian guard heard the gospel. Members of Caesar's own household came to faith. Wow, that's tremendous. Because Paul did not, he wasn't angry at them. He wasn't, you know, yelling at them and throwing his food at them and all that. He was ministering love and grace to them. And it changed lives. Wow. And that's what we can be involved in too. The truth that we cling to, the truth of the scriptures we want to celebrate and hold dear, and yet it animates us, it pushes us toward love. We have been knit together in love, and it says, lastly, look here at end of verse 2, he says, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. This is what we celebrate. This is what we're after. We want not just a little understanding, but we want the full assurance of understanding. We want to know that we know everything God wants us to know about his purpose in our lives, his work in this world. We don't want to know just, we don't want to be satisfied with just a little bit of doctrine. We want to hunger and thirst after the truth of God's word. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1 says, uh, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't do all these things, but he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, not just once a day in the morning, maybe for 10, 15 seconds, or 10, 15 minutes, excuse me, uh, but to meditate day and night. I remember one time a friend in college said, you know, you know when you're really saturated, really have your mind set on the scripture, because he he talked about his father. He said his, his father uh, came to him one morning and said, you know, son, I, I had a dream last night and I was teaching the Bible and whatever it was. And he was, because he'd been so filled with the word of God, it was in his dreams. Can you think of a dream? I don't know if you remember your dreams at all, but do you, can you think about meditating upon God's word, even leading it in a Bible study kind of a, a situation? We know that when God's word saturates us we i mean just as said of john bunyan you prick him his blood will flow biblene wow i mean it's just part of him when you bumped him guess what came out not curse words but scripture is that us is that you have you attained to all the wealth i mean it's not just a a, a little bit or or a, a small portion of this this is wealth this is riches this is the glory of of supply and abundant supply that is available to those who find their treasure in God's word, attaining, coming to, to come to grips with all the wealth that comes from, and not just, ah, I trust God's word a little bit. I know, I know he's good. I know he's truthful. But this is a full assurance. This is resting wholly upon the reality, the truth, the authority of God's word. And it brings us understanding. That This is the the idea that we understand, we, we contemplate, we appreciate the word, the work rather, that God is doing in our lives. He is the one who is uh, revealing so many things to us. We'll see in the next verse about this mystery that formerly was hidden, 
and yet now it is manifested in Christ. And all these things, as I mentioned before, each little element of what Paul is teaching here is a direct affront to the false teachers in Colossae. This thing about riches. They would say, oh, we have riches hidden in our, our special secret knowledge, and you need to come to us and hear this special stuff. And Paul says, hogwash. You come to Christ, you have all the riches you need, not just a little bit, but full assurance of it. You might feel that you need to be attached to these people because they they present a message that if you don't listen to us, you won't have the full riches, you won't have the full assurance, you'll be kind of, uh, you know, second-rate Christians, uh, but we, you come to us, we'll help you out. No, Paul says you go to Christ, you look to him, and his life in you will motivate you, animate you toward love for one another, a devotion to the truth, a, a uh, an understanding that, that passes all other people, all other wisdom that can be offered in this world is what Paul is referencing and celebrating here. We want to realize that he gives us this full assurance, this full conviction, not just, not just a little, not just a little. So much is available. God wants to give us, well, he already has given us the kingdom. What does Jesus say? Do not fear, or fear not little flock or little children. God, the Father, has has delighted, has so much celebrated the fact he's giving you the kingdom. Whoa, the kingdom? And the keys of the kingdom? Everything? We're the king's kids? And not just, I mean, it's, it's hey, it's kind of handy to be an American. Passports get you different places, but nothing like being a citizen of heaven having not just uh, a, a calmness or a, a confidence to to stroll into a foreign country because i'm an american no but to live in a fallen mixed up crazy world being a child of god being related to him having a confidence that doesn't depend on the the shifting sands of popular opinion and culture and all this thing but full assurance that we understand we we can see the beginning from the end because god has explained it to us we know why people act the way they do, because they're greedy for power, they're greedy for money, they're greedy for this, that, and the other thing. And that Paul says in, in Colossians 3, verse 5, I think it is, where he says, greed, which is idolatry. Don't be part of that. Put that, Lay that aside. Who are you fooling, trying to be so uh, ravenous, so greedy about these things? Look for what Christ has given you, not just a little. He has lavished upon us these wonderful graces, and he's given us this full assurance of understanding, this ability to evaluate things, a discernment, which, man, if there was a, a need for, for the church today, it is discernment to be able to separate truth from error. That's one of the responsibilities, by the way, of the Old Testament priesthood, to separate, to, to define, or to describe definitely, but to, to uh, identify the clean and the unclean, the true from the, the false, that is a role of all priests, or, or uh, now we who are a kingdom of priests, to discern and separate truth from falsehood. And Paul says you need to exercise that. You need to be careful to be devoted to the truth and not just fall for these, these, uh, these false doctrines, as he says in verse 4. Well, much more could be said about this, and we'll look uh, uh, next week more at, uh, at verse 2 and then verses 3 and following, Lord willing. But man, love, love God love each other, allow the truth of God to transform your thoughts, not just um, water off a duck's back. If you've seen a water, you know, pour water on a duck and, and you think, oh, that water, that duck is going to be saturated. No, it goes right off. Just, you know, holding the book, the Bible in front of you isn't enough. You need to 
read it. You need to let it percolate within you. You need to meditate upon it, think about it, rehearse it to yourself, repeat it to yourself. Maybe put it on your on your mirror we talked about in your bathroom or in your refrigerator, whatever. Um, think about, expose yourself to God's word. Reading personally, expose it to yourself to preaching, not live preaching, recorded preaching, whatever it is, because we need our lives to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Wow, this is so important. And then, of course, to show it in love toward God and for one another. Our great Father in heaven, you are so good. Your salvation is not just to meet our food and, and clothing issues or our shelter issues. But you have brought us salvation. You have brought us a, a freedom from condemnation. You have brought us, brought us a confidence that, that, uh, escapes or is not bound by this age. We're so grateful for our eternal life in Christ. We're grateful for your not having left us as orphans, but you gave us your spirit. You gave us your spirit to allow us to supernaturally love one another. Not naturally, because then we'd be limited and uh, and uh, do it only when we feel like it or when we can get something back in, in return. But supernaturally, with your supply for human need, we pray that you would be active in our lives. Please help us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for his friends and his enemies. And you are the one who is able to make enemies into friends and dear, dear brothers and sisters. We're so grateful for your life change that you provide through the power of the gospel. We pray that you would help us to be your ambassadors, your ambassadors of reconciliation. We pray that people would see from the world, world's perspective, would see us and say, well, surely, surely they are with Jesus because they love one another because they they think differently they act differently they have different ambitions and emotions and affections and relationships because of their relationship with this jesus i want to know more about him too we pray that that would be the truth please help us to be faithful to the end we're grateful for you we pray in christ's name amen <laughs>